We turn now to our gospel lesson, and I invite you to look at your bulletins, which I hope you've been able to download, and you can follow along with me as, we, as I read this passage. Let me say one note about John's use of the term, the Jews. This can also be translated, the Judeans. And you will see that Jesus is heading to Judea. We have to be careful to also remember time and again that Jesus and his disciples, all of the people with whom he associated, are Jews. So now listen to the word of God as it is found in John's Gospel, in chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. We're going to hear the first 16 verses. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill, so the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble, because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, let us pray. Holy God, we wait for you. We wait for your word to flood our hearts and minds with your good news of life and peace and joy through Christ our Savior. Amen. We pick up John's gospel story where Ernest left off. John chapter 11, verse 17, continuing through verse 45. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away. 
And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him.
The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, if you had been here, the plaintive cry shouts out from the heart of this story. Both Martha and Mary pour out their grief-stricken souls to Jesus when he finally arrives. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Why did Jesus linger so long? Why didn't he come rushing to the rescue as soon as he got word of Lazarus' illness? Why didn't he stop the illness in the first place? The cries of Martha and Mary still echo across the millennia as loudly today as they did then. The what-ifs drown out everything else that is going on. Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This fifth Sunday in Lent, in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, if I asked you to finish the sentence, how would you complete it? Lord, if you had been here, what? Lord, if you had been here, we wouldn't be isolated in our homes and kept from going to school. If you had been here, we could still all gather together in this space that we love. Lord, if you had been here, our very livelihoods wouldn't be at risk. Lord, if you had been here, we wouldn't be worried sick about our loved ones serving on the healthcare front lines. We wouldn't be scared for our kids and our elderly parents. We could hold the hands of those that we love. Lord, if you had been here, we wouldn't have a knot in our stomach every time we open up the news feed. Lord, if you had been here, life could go on as normal. This Lent is unfolding in ways we never knew it would back on Ash Wednesday. We didn't know that the cloud of dust and ashes leading us into the Lenten wilderness would look like a contagious virus. And even though we said otherwise, we didn't really know that what we would need to survive this journey would have to be a lot more robust than a simple Lenten discipline. We didn't know that these times would be so strange and disorienting. We didn't know that we would land in a twilight zone that already feels like months and maybe even like time itself has stopped. We didn't know we would feel such palpable grief, mourning not only what's already been lost, but also the losses yet to come. For whether they are real or imagined, it doesn't really matter. At this point in time, they are one and the same. Days of grief have always been so. They are filled with questions and what ifs. Grief wrenches our spirits. It tears us apart. It cuts to the core and it agitates us deeply within. Mary and Martha faced that. They bore grief's awfulness and despair times two, for not only did they suffer the death of their brother, 
They endured the disappointment that the one they were sure could heal him instead took his own sweet time. He arrived too late to keep Lazarus from dying. Jesus took too long, they thought. Now, although headings in Bibles usually refer to this story as Lazarus' story, I submit it's really Mary and Martha's story and not just because I like to preach about women. Look at the action. See where the emotion lies. Look at who's at the center of the struggle to understand. While Lazarus lies in the background, these two single women face the future in an ancient society where women aren't breadwinners, nor do they act in the public sphere. The economic and social impact threatens to intensify their already profoundly sad experience. And with his delay, Jesus does not spare them that anxiety. But what I love about Mary and Martha's challenges to Jesus when he finally does show up is their raw honesty, the kind you display to, with someone who is close to you and can take everything that you'll throw at them. If you were a real friend, you'd have dropped everything and come right away. And what I love about Jesus' replies to them are the ways that he shows how keenly he understands each of them. He responds uniquely to the particular ways that each sister experiences this crisis of grief. Martha is clearly frustrated with Jesus, and at the same time, she knows and she affirms that he has the power to move the hand of God. She has faith in him, and she seeks to understand more. So Jesus opens the door to further dialogue, simply saying, Lazarus will rise again. And Martha bites. She thinks he means their traditional understanding of the resurrection of the dead on the last day. But he tells her, no, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, her hopes lie in the future, but Jesus already offers abundant life in the middle of what she endures right now. Jesus himself is the resurrected life, not merely a means to it. And even in her disappointment, Martha is ready to talk faith and theology, a woman close to my heart, I think. And like the closest of friends, Jesus meets her where she is. But Mary? Mary can't talk theology. She is simply overcome with grief. All she can do is kneel at Jesus' feet and weep heart-wrenching sobs of anguish. She lives squarely in the depths of her sorrow with nothing more to give. And as the closest of friends do, Jesus honors and respects the rawness of her grief. He weeps with her. Not just to mirror her emotions, but to bear them with her, to grieve himself, 
over the death of his beloved friend, and even to anticipate his own journey toward the cross of Good Friday. Grief is a place we can receive the love and care of others. Grief is a place to receive the love and care of God in Christ, who is present in the suffering of Mary and Martha, and who is present in the suffering of our virus-ridden world. Grief is also a place to experience the deep and abiding hope toward which we move this and every Lent, the hope of Easter, which will come, virus or not. It's a hope foreshadowed in Mary and Martha's story. When death's power looms large and many in the crowd around Jesus scorn his ability, inability to stop it, he heads straight toward Lazarus' tomb. He sees the stone that seals it and says, take it away. Well, we heard Martha's horrified reaction. Don't you get it? He's been dead four days. And before he calls Lazarus out, Jesus responds to Martha with the answer that could only be given by the one who is truly the resurrection and the life. Didn't I tell you? that if you believed, you would see God's glory revealed. Galladay writes, in the Lazarus story, we have a stupendous, world-shattering gift of life. And yet this story is not intended to inspire awe in a miracle worker, but to lead to faith in the one who gives life and in the God who makes this and all gifts possible. Earlier this week, in both the Veritas Forum podcast and in a subsequent New York Times op-ed, David Brooks spoke to our present crisis. He said that the suffering that it begets can seem so meaningless, but that's wrong. In order to bear it, suffering must be attached to a narrative of redemption. The story we tell about this moment and the way we stubbornly live out that story, he said, have meaning. And it's this very meaning, he said, that will inspire us and hold us together. As people who follow Jesus, we believe this, that the stories we tell of God's suffering with humanity shape our lives and our future. The stories we tell of God's saving work throughout history help us to see God's presence in Christ with us now and live in resurrection hope during these days. We are going to keep telling that story. And even though we will work our way through the rest of Lent without gathering together in person, we will still tell the story. Next Sunday, we will lay out our palm branches No, we won't be able to wave them together as a physically gathered community, but we will still tell the story. We will journey toward Holy Week, and we will keep telling the story. We'll tell the story that death is powerful, but it's no match for the one who gives us life. And we will also keep stubbornly living out that story, accompanying people in whatever way we can to support one another, to creatively restore community, to check in on each other, 
to listen to one another, to pray for one another. We'll keep living out the story, providing food to people out of this building three times a week, donating non-perishables to our food cupboard and supporting our emergency fund if we have the resources to do so. Because even when the power of suffering and death overshadows us, we choose to live. Right now, we are with Mary and Martha in the confusing middle of the story with the one who is the resurrection and the life right here with us. And if we are with Mary and Martha in the middle of the story, the good news must be that there's a place for us at the end of this story where suffering doesn't have the last word, where life is abundant, where the stone is taken away and the tomb will be empty. Amen.